This is Coffee at KYUK, conversation between friends and neighbors. Come in and have a cup. Joining us for coffee today is Dr. Jacqueline Hung with the Woodwell Climate Research Center. She has been studying permafrost on Yukon Delta National Wildlife Refuge land near Nunapachuk. This project is now expanding. Here to speak with her is KYUK's Francisco Martinez Cuello. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning, Jackie. Good morning, Francisco. Happy to be here. Hi. Yes. Yeah, so, um, um, <clears throat> you've you've been through Bethel in the past uh, for scientific work with Woodwell's Polaris project. I'm doing scientific field work, and now you're. <clears throat> is it true you're returning in September? Uh, if so, what brings you back? Yeah, I'm actually coming back in April. I was in Bethel last year a few times and spent the majority of my summer out on um, wildlife refuge land near the uh, near Nunapachuk on the Isovinik upland uh, in an area that has undergone um, some wildfire burning um, since 1940, but particularly important, it was in 2015. Um, so we run the Polaris Project out of that location and that has been ongoing since 2019, where we bring undergraduate students from underrepresented groups in the lower 48, um, expose them to field work, connect them with local indigenous elders and youth, and expose them to um, some of the traditional knowledge and the ongoing um, impacts of climate change on um, indigenous lands in Alaska. And um, we are coming back to the area um, this year and in years to come because we're seeing higher occurrences of these wildfires and we're studying some of the effects of these wildfires on the landscape and the greenhouse gas balance and how they are impacting the communities within the Delta. So I've been uh, living in in California for, excuse me, over 20 years now. And so I'm, I'm... I've been noticing the uh, the increase in, in fires, specifically in Southern California, um, but I've, I've also read that they've been burning a lot um, hotter. Is 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 something similar like that going on here? Yeah. So we're the trend is so slowly showing that we're seeing increases in wildfire tundra, uh, tundra wildfires in Alaska um, since the 50s, and this um, increase is projected through models to increase well into the next century. Um, Not only are these fires increasing in um, occurrence, but also increasing in severity. So for example, last year, um, there were fires that were happening much earlier in the season, as early as April around the Queefluck area, and and some of the other noble fires near St. Mary's were quite detrimental to the forests and the tundra around those areas and we're seeing a lot of feedback mechanisms that are happening with these wildfires not only on the tundra landscape but for years to come um, below ground and um, for the communities nearby and and so i guess what are with the intensity of these fires what what does it do to the to the soil and um, to the vegetation yeah, I'm glad you asked. So in these areas, um, the the landscape is underlain by permafrost, which 
a lot of people in Alaska are familiar with, and this permafrost has been accumulating for millennia, and so it contains a lot of this old carbon and material that has decomposed over time. And pretty much what the wildfire does is really release a lot of this carbon um, really quickly. Um, and because the Arctic contains about 30 to 40% of the world's soil carbon, um, a lot of this can be released um, into the atmosphere um, as greenhouse gases, so things like carbon dioxide and methane. Um, and what that what those greenhouse gases do is they act like a greenhouse and can trap heat and other and moisture and um, things in the atmosphere and therefore contribute to this positive feedback where it continues to warm our our um, the surface of the earth and then soils warm and then we're seeing more extreme weather events, higher occurrences of lightning and things like that that can ignite a lot of these fires. Um, later into the growing season as well. And, um, and a lot of this also strips off the top of the vegetation, um, which is integral to a lot of species like moose and caribou that thrive within Alaska. And this not only has effects on the, uh, the landscape itself, on the terrestrial landscape, but these things can have downstream effects into the aquatic environments that are around um, these permafrost affected areas. So wildfire not only has the immediate effect of burning up the landscape, but um, it has this lasting legacy effect on the soils that we can't, we don't really see immediately, but last well into decades and uh, decades um, post fire. So if, if there's a, a, a wildfire, for example, and then, you know, um, and then there's um, subsequent um, rain afterwards and it it's all runs off and goes into the either the rivers or the or the oceans or the other tributaries, um, that also impacts the fish? Yep, it certainly can. And um, that's some of the work that colleagues at the, at the research center that I work at are also doing. Um, with citizen science, and there's a project ongoing called Science on the Fly that pairs um, citizen science with the tools to do a lot of water quality sampling and monitoring in rivers, not only in Alaska, but also in the lower 48. And um, they're able to monitor the watersheds that they fish out of, these, that fly fishing, that the fly fishing community um, works out of, and they're able to monitor things like dissolved carbon and different and nutrients that are coming in from um, adjacent terrestrial ecosystems into the waters. And yeah, some of it can have impacts on um, fish habitat, um, fish livelihood, and things like that down the, downstream. And um, some, some kids in the Delta know about Polaris because the scientists came to the ONC Science and Culture Camp. Uh, did the researchers enjoy that? Yeah, I think it was a great learning experience for everyone that was involved. Um, I was still out um, at the base camp doing research then, but my colleagues, um, Nigel Golden and Suna Tally, who run the Polaris Project, were really amazed by the the traditional knowledge that was shared from elders within the Bethel community um, the interest 
that the local youth have on some of the ongoing projects um, that the undergraduate students within Polaris were undertaking. Um, and they were also interested in hearing about how um, they can get involved in some of the future research that Polaris is continuing to do within the Delta. And so, how, uh, circling back, how, how does one become a, a, a citizen scientist? Um, so, citizen science is actually, there are several organizations around the world, and, and it's as simple as looking it up on the internet is it's finding out what you're passionate about. So, for example, with Science on the Fly, um, Woodwell looks at working with um, people that are within the fly fishing community, and that I'm sure that's a big one within Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, fly fishers are not only there to look, um, not there just for the sport, but they're there as stewards of their watersheds that they work within and they play within. And that's um, how citizen science kind of gets sparked, is pairing interests within um, a specific community and uh, equipping them with some of the tools and the mechanisms to do research and further understand um, their impact on the landscape um, that they enjoy. So what so what else would um, would members of the audience find interesting um, regarding permafrost? Do you have anything to say regarding that or, or the wildfires? I think something that's... Um, becoming more and more evident as we're, as Alaska is seeing more extreme events and extreme weather events and permafrost is that there's this need for communities to lead and um, lead environmental monitoring within their communities, but also be the voice at higher levels at federal agencies about how they want to see adaptation and mitigation um, move forward within their communities. And that's one project that I'm involved with at, Pumafro- at uh, Woodwell. It's called Pumafrost Pathways. And we're combining not only this field research, um, looking at permafrost thaw and wildfire effects on the landscape, but taking some of that, taking some of that raw data and then putting it into models, um, making projections about what things are looking like in the future and using some of this data to help communities advocate for adaptation strategies and decision-making when it comes to things like infrastructure and relocation and um, climate resilience within um, the Alaska Native Villages. And that's um, a new project that's up and coming called Permafrost Pathways. We're partnering with 10 Alaskan villages um, and co- lear- looking at um, learning from Indigenous folks within these communities on what they've been seeing through time, equipping them um, with some technology to help monitor simple data like temperature and moisture within the permafrost so that they can take this data um, to people higher up and help advocate for things like um, the co-creation of um, relocation governance frameworks and whatnot. And, and what kind of uh, uh, tools or technologies um, do you use? 
So we've just started working with some communities this last summer. New Mapachuk is one of them. Quigalingot um, in the south is also another one. And we're working with several more. Um, and we'll be visiting a few more villages this summer. Um, but it includes um, helping. So we'll bring in some of the tools we have, like permafrost coring and helping um, and bringing things like soil temperature probes and soil moisture probes and helping install those into current locations of concern or in future relocation areas to do some longer-term monitoring. And then communities are able to track that data and see how things are changing um, month to month, year to year. Um, and that's just uh, helping um, equip these communities with some of the tools that um, are able to give them the data they need to take to government officials and organizations to advocate for um, adaptation decision making. And and do you do you measure the um, greenhouse gases being released or the carbon as well or? Um, not currently mm-hmm. in the communities, but that's something that we're hoping to move forward with. Um, it's certainly something that's of interest to some of the folks that we've spoken with and we're seeing. And it's certainly something that um, is a little bit more difficult to understand sometimes because we don't see, we don't actually see um, these gases coming out. But when we measure it from certain features like from across saw features or um, from bubbling lakes, for example, mm-hmm. um, it's interesting to know and to measure over time to see how things are changing within the communities. So that's definitely something that we're hoping to move towards. Great. Is there, is there anything else that you um, want to talk about? Um, if folks are interested in learning more about the Permafrost Pathways Project or seeing um, which communities um, are involved, um, there are three within the Delta that we are partnering with. Um, of the 10 across the state, um, you can go to permafrost.woodwellclimate.org and um, see a little bit about what we've been doing, um, not only locally on the ground, some of the modeling work that we've been doing, um, but also how we're taking that um, into policy and into adaptation planning. Great. Well, um, if you don't have anything else, I have no other questions for you. Yeah, thanks for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks you. Thank you very much. Anytime. That's KYUK's Francisco Martinez Cuello and Dr. Jacqueline Hung with the Woodwell Climate Research Center. Join us tomorrow to hear Dr. Katie Howard, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game Salmon Ocean Ecology Program Leader, in the presentation she made to the Fish Board about the Chum Salmon Collapses in the Bering Sea and North Pacific. This is coffee at KYUK. That's coffee weekday mornings at 8.40. Catch up on old episodes by visiting KYUK.org or find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcast.